Well, last week uh, during the Encounter Sunday, I felt very strongly um, a word that the Lord was saying to us as a as a body, and I want to camp on that today, if that's okay, because I feel like sometimes we can have these moments where the Lord says something and there's a response and it's all wonderful, and then we flit on with our lives and we don't chew on it. We don't take time to like really consider what the Lord's saying and dig a little deeper than just what comes out on a surface level on, a, on an encounter Sunday. So I wanted to look at the scripture from 2 Kings 13 um, <clears throat> that we read a little bit of um, last week. I'm in the NLT version, apparently. I was just like, why am I in that version? There must be a reason. When, the, when Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, Get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. And he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. An arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was very angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. Praise the Lord. This is the scripture. Um, while we were in worship very, very early on, um, I felt the Lord very strongly. I felt the Father saying, strike the ground again. He just kept saying it over and over, strike the ground again, strike the ground again, strike the ground again. And <clears throat> I feel like he wants to challenge us as individuals and as a community because I know that there would be, every single person would be contending for something in this room. Yes, everyone's contending for something. And as a community, we're contending for salvations, for healings, for deliverance, for a move of God in the city of Darwin, in the Northern Territory, right? So there's individual situations and then there's a corporate, like what does God want to do here? And, and we want to be people who can rise above like our own personal lives and be like, all right, God, I've got that sorted now. What are you doing and how do I partner with what you're doing here in Darwin? Does that make sense? Um, that's, that's where you start to 
grow up in your faith, when you can stop thinking about your own circumstance and start seeing the bigger picture of God. And there's definitely a bigger picture going on. So we're talking about this so that you can have personal breakthrough in your personal circumstances, but then go higher and and start to, as a body, we can start to break ground in the spirit. Amen? Because that's important. We want to do that. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about contending for silly, middle fleshly things, just to qualify. I'm not, I'm not talking about contending for, God, can you please give me a million dollars? He might want to. I don't know what's written on your scroll. You know, sometimes I'll have a laugh with desire. When I go out to the mail, he'll be like, oh, there's something in the mailbox. Because that doesn't happen very often now. Hey, you don't really get mail. And I'll be like, that's that check for a, th- for a, a million dollars that the Lord's sending me. But I'm not actually talking about um, fulfilling your own fleshly desires when I'm talking about contending. I'm talking about contending for the promises that God has given you or the things in the word that are clearly available for us to access by faith. Amen? Just wanted to qualify that. Just a little side note, James 4, verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He doesn't mince with words. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? All right, so strong words. We're talking about contending for the things that are the will of God. Amen. And many Christians today are feeling depressed and discouraged because they are contending for things that are not the will of God. Okay? They are desires that have been birthed from the flesh or birthed from their soul realm, their mind, their will, the emotions that haven't been submitted to the Lord. So the will of the Lord, what is it? We can know it. Ephesians 5, 14. It says, Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then as how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We can't contend for for the will of the Lord if we don't even know what it is. So I'm just proving that Scripture is telling us we can understand what the will of the Lord is. In... (laughs) 1646, a bunch of English and Scottish theologians, they came together um, to bring like a greater conformity and a greater unity between the Church of England and the Church of Scotland so that all these theologians, bigwigs come into a room and they're like, right, what's the meaning of life? Yeah, 
what's the meaning of life? And so they're digging into scripture and they're debating and they're working, you know, they come out with this, to know God and enjoy him forever. What is the will of God? To know God and to enjoy him forever. And the only way that you can possibly know like what the will of God is for your individual life or what the will of God is for Darwin is if you know God yourself. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to work through this scripture and get some keys. I think there are seven. And there's probably more. I want you to go home and read it and dig a little deeper even because there's only so much you can do in 20 or 30 minutes. All right, verse 14. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. We'll stop there. Elisha was a prophet in the Old Testament. Now, for those of you who don't know, before Jesus came and died and was resurrected, people could not know God for themselves. They couldn't hear God's voice. They needed to go through a priest or a prophet. And the Lord would choose men of God and women, actually. Um, He would choose men and women of God who he would put his spirit upon. The Spirit of God would rest upon them and he would anoint them with his spirit and they would move in power and they would speak the words of God, right? So we're in that time frame. The king is freaking out because there's a war breaking out and he goes to Elisha because Elisha at the time was the greatest prophet. Like... There was so much power on Elisha that when he died and was put in a tomb, another dead person was put in the tomb and touched Elisha's body and that dead person was raised to life because of the power of God that was still in his body. Like, we're talking crazy levels of the power of God. (sighs) Crazy. Anyway, so this king's got some sense. He's going to Elisha with his problem. Amen? And I think he's expectant that Elisha's going to have something to say that is helpful. So my first point is, come to God in expectation. Come to God in expectation with your circumstance, your thing that you're contending for. How big is God? How powerful is God? Is there anything God can't do? Is there any situation that's above his ability to shift or move? Is there any person that's out of his reach? No. Come, like, sometimes I have to G myself up and I have to remind myself how big God is. We serve a big, big God who has all power and all authority and all dominion. 
Remind yourself and come to him in expectation. Verse 15, Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. He had something to say. Of course he did. He had the spirit of God resting upon him. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. My second key is wait on God for instruction. Often we come to the Lord with our problem and we're like, blah, 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 blah. Awesome. I've prayed about it and off I go. We need to be like, God, what do you want me to do? What are you saying? What do you want me to do? It, it is very rare that I'll ask that question of the Lord and he says nothing. He always has an instruction. And if he doesn't speak, what was the last thing he told you to do regarding that thing? Go back there and do that until he gives you something else, right? It's really important. <clears throat> We've been given two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's good. We need to be reminded. Use your mouth to ask good questions of the Lord. And then listen to what he says and do it. Amen. Oh, that's my point three. Do what God says. <laughs> it's not rocket science, is it? Do what God says. If he says to pray, pray. If he says to fast, fast. If he says to read a book, read a book. If he says to read a certain scripture, then camp in it. Like he says lots of things. Do it. We've got to do it. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. There's lots in 15. Um, and the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. My fourth little key is, there is power in the hand of the Lord. Where is his hand? It's a good question. Where is your hand, Lord? Where, what are you on? Because I don't want to be shooting these arrows if your hand's not on it. I don't want to be putting my energy and attention into something if you're not on it. So where's your hand? Where's the hand of the Lord? And some people um, will be, you'll hear preachers and they'll be like, don't seek the hand of the Lord over relationship with him. Like, make sure. Yes, I, amen to that. But I also, like once you've got your relationship sorted, ask the Lord, where's your hand? Because wherever the hand of the Lord is, there's the grace of God. And the grace of God empowers you to do what needs to be done. That's the place where miracles break out, where the grace of God is. So we need to know where his hand is. It's like night and day. When I'm doing something, if his hand's on it, even if it's hard, I'm like, man, the hand of the Lord is here and I, I feel the grace of the Lord. I feel the empowerment. When he's taken his hand off, when there's been seasons, when he's like, no, you're not to do that anymore and his, his hand leaves, the grace of God leaves. It's like, get me out of here. I can feel that God is not on this anymore, right? Right? 
So it's a, it's a really good question to ask the Lord. Are you on this? That's what I'm asking the Lord for everything that we do as a church. Are you on this? Is your hand on this? It's important. Every time the, the hand of the Lord was on the Israelites, they won. Every time. God, we need your hand. <laughs> we need the hand of the Lord, hey. Verse 17, is that what we're up to? Then he commanded, open that eastern window. So there's more instruction and he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. You will completely conquer the Ar Arameans at Aphek. Key number five, what is the word of the Lord? What's the word of the Lord over this situation? Over the thing you're contending for? Because Elisha, he declared the word of the Lord. He's like, this is the arrow of victory, complete victory. He declared it. What's the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord always goes forth and accomplishes what it's called to do. It never returns void. It always gives victory. And hearing the word of the Lord regarding a circumstance births faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to hear, God, what's the word of the Lord right now? I love that you've given me instruction. What's the promise? Is it victory? Good. I'm grabbing hold of it. And then I can wage war with it. What's the word of the Lord? Verse 18. Then he said, Now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will only be victorious only three times. What's that all about? Sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? There was no instruction to strike the ground five or six times. So why, why did he get rebuked? At least he struck the ground. Like, <clears throat> what's it all about? King Jehoash, he was not a man of faith. 
He was a man that could follow instructions and directions, but he lacked the spiritual discernment and insight that's available for people who live in the Word of God and walk by faith. So he heard the word of victory. He was brave enough to strike the ground three times, but man, when the word of the Lord comes, it does something inside of you. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? When the word of the Lord comes regarding a situation and you hear God and you know it's God, it's like it bursts this like fire. That's when you grab that arrow, that stick, Chelsea, your staff that you have, come on, you need to bang that girl. And you bang 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 and you don't stop banging. Because that's what faith does. It's like faith is not according to what I see, it's according to what God said. So I bang, you bang that thing and you declare what God said and you wage war over it. Amen? That guy wasn't a man of faith. Simple as that. He was a man that could follow instructions, but he wasn't a man of faith. The word of the Lord released hope into a hopeless situation. My number six, point number six is hope matters. We heard all about it yesterday, Steve Buckland. Outstanding, by the way. If you need an infusion of hope, it's very, very good. Talk to me. We'll do it again. (sighs) Hope is extremely important. If you don't have hope, faith has nothing to grab onto. They work together. And I feel like some of you may have lost your hope. Steve Buckland yesterday said, Hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present and that I have the power to help make it so. Should I say that again? Hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present and that I have the power to help make it so. It's good, isn't it? Hope is like eyes. It sees what's possible. That's why Paul was always praying for the Ephesians. God, open the eyes of their heart that they might see. If you can see, then faith is like hands and you can, faith can reach out and grab it. Does that make sense? If you don't have hope, your faith doesn't know what it's grabbing. They work together. You need both. Yes? Are we on page? All right. Matthew 9. Did I have a seven? Ah, there we go. I don't have a seven in my notes. That's funny. My point number seven is have faith. Faith 
Once you've got the hope, then your faith can grab hold of it and you can pull it in. Let's read the words of Jesus and stir up our souls and remind ourselves how important faith is. Matthew 9, 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. I love how they they can't keep it to themselves. It happens over and over again. Jesus is like, shh. And they're like, look what he did. That's what I want you guys to be like. Look what Jesus did. Because we overcome the enemy. According to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, let it be done to you. How's your faith? Where's it at? Scale of one to ten. How's your faith level? How's your faith meter? Ask the Lord, close your eyes. God, where's my faith? What level is my faith? This is not a condemnation thing. This is a you hearing the Lord and the Lord being able to tell you where your faith is on the faith meter. One is, one is with the king that's only striking three times. Ten is all things are possible and I'm going after it, man. <laughs> Nothing's holding me back. I see it and I'm grabbing it. <laughs> Okay, now that you know where you are, obviously, Lord, we're just going to pray. Lord, increase our faith. God, increase our faith. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would increase our faith to believe for more than what we're currently seeing. I pray that you'd increase our faith, Lord, to take hold of everything that you've already taken hold of for us. Thank you, Lord. Give us the gift of faith, Lord, that we might believe even when it looks absolutely impossible. Amen. You know, I know that it can get... It can be tempting to get weary and disheartened when you're contending, when you're like, I keep praying for this, nothing's happening. I've been there, I know I've been there, it's tricky, right? But it's in those moments that we have a choice. There's a choice. Am I going to succumb to my experience and my feelings and partner with disappointment and discouragement, or I'm gonna dig a, am I going to dig a little deeper Press into the Lord and keep striking that ground. It's a choice. And we get to choose which one is it going to be. 
And the Lord's like telling us this because he's like, come on, come on. You're people of faith, not people of sight. People of faith. Amen? One more. Luke 18, 1 to 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out by her, with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. This is Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. How, how quickly? Quickly. Quickly. Praise God. Hallelujah. There it is. Words of Jesus. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? We're people of faith. We're called to be people of faith. Is he going to find us as people of faith when he returns? Yes, he is. Because we're going to this church and we're going to keep reminding each other that we need to be people of faith. Amen? That's why we gather, to stir one another up in what is true about us. That's why we come. Everyone should be here. We need it. I need it too. I need to hear all of your testimonies. I need to hear what God's doing in not just my life, but in everyone's life. Like we're a body, the Amplified says, will he find this kind of persistent faith in the earth? Man, faith is persistent. It doesn't let go till it grabs hold of it and pulls it in. Persistent faith. What are our take-homes? Man, be a student of the word. Know the word. Know, know what's in it. Know what you can have faith for and what you can't. It will save you a lot of heartache. Walk with God. Your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life, whether you think it is or not. It is. I'm going to tell you every single week, know God for yourself. Walk with Him. Become a master of asking God questions and doing what He says. Where's God's hand? Find it. Find where his hand is. The grace is there. Amen. Uh, get hope. If you've lost your hope, get it. Get around hopeful people. Get around people that can pray into your situation and see things higher than what you can see them. Get some hope. Amen.
Uh, walk by faith. Keep striking the ground. Keep praying. How do we strike the ground? Pray, declare. Amen? Worship. Those things. Keep striking. Go hang out with Chelsea and she'll strike her stick as well. You had to be at camp to get that one. Last year, not this year. <laughs> There's no such thing as too much faith. You can't have too much. So go for it. Go hard at it. God's real. God's real. Anything can happen because God's real. Ha. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and and man, when you're in the when you're in the midst of it and you're feeling discouraged, what do you do? You feed on the faithfulness of God. What has he done for you? Feed on the wondrous um, news of the cross. Feed on the faithfulness of Jesus coming to give himself, to lose his life for your, for your freedom. Feed on what he's done. Think about all of the things that he's done in your life, all of the testimonies. That's why we share them and write them down because we, we just forget. If I said to you, what are a hundred things God has done for you? We'd probably like start faltering at around 10, most people. Liz is like, I got it, man. <laughs> right? So constantly feed yourself. Even like keep a note on your phone, like open a note. Faithfulness of God. Every time God answers a prayer, every time you see someone get healed, every time you hear a testimony that just lights you up, every time God gives you an instruction and you follow it and then something amazing happens, you write it down. Because God is faithful and we need to be reminded. Praise God. Galatians 6, 9. We've been there this year. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Praise God. It's good news. 